Welcome to The Rot Focus, a podcast for writers, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee, with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Runes, all from Writers, Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, grab a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. Tropes are those genre, category-specific details, characters, and events that readers relish and anticipate. A magic sword. The hard-nosed detective who drinks on the job. The corpse found and lost in a cozy mystery. Some tropes, such as the golden child or the orphan child, transcend a single genre and can be found in all major genres. Genre tropes can build a plot, but tropes are not plot. They are tools. Not every screwdriver in a toolbox is used every time you need to screw in a screw. Not every trope is used every time you write a novel in a specific genre. If you do use every trope to build a plot, well, as a writer, you're screwed. I won't list genre tropes in this episode. Those are easy to find. I will explain the reason we writers are screwed when we depend upon tropes for our plot and characters. According to Merriam-Webster, a trope is merely a figure of speech. In one respect, the trope functions like a stereotype, a character thrown into a story for one purpose, the femme fatale who tempts the morally ambiguous guy into murder, double indemnity, and many of the stories of the film noir genre, for example. In writing, a storytelling trope is a situation that will quickly develop a scene. The soft-hearted hero who rescues the kitten. The situation is shorthand for character development. Many new writers fall into the wish fulfillment of tropes for novels, thinking enough of these stereotypical scenes will fill a manuscript. Lists of tropes can be found everywhere online. While we can pick and choose which to add to our stories, Tropes should never be the backbone or the skeletal frame of the story. Remember, story is best called a revelation of character through conflict. The logical structure of that conflict with guides for pacing and tension, that is plot. A list of tropes are tropes developed into scenes one after another. That's not plot. We can and should use tropes but we shouldn't depend on them for character arc and plot development. Plot is conflict that reveals character in action. We might propose that the original genre tropes arose from the folk ballad and the Commedia dell'arte movements. Folk ballads are filled with the tropes for love, death, and betrayal. Sir Patrick Spence, Edward Edward, the demon lover, and Barbara Allen are all classic examples of folk ballads. Here's Lord Randall. Oh, where have you been, Lord Randall, my son? 
Oh, where have you been, my handsome young man? I have been to the wildwood, mother. Make my bed soon, for I'm weary with hunting and fain would lie down. This lets us know that there is a problem. We don't yet know what the problem is. The trope of a folk ballad uses the question-answer sequence. Where got you your dinner, Lord Randall, my son? Where got you your dinner, my handsome young man? I dined with my true love, mother. Make my bed soon, for I'm weary with hunting and fain would lie down. Here's the true love that's part of every folk ballad. All should be well, right? Nope. There's a reason our hero Lord Randall wishes to lie down. So the mother asked the question in the next stanza. What got you to your dinner, Lord Randall, my son? What got you to your dinner, my handsome young man? I got eels boiled in broth, mother. Make my bed soon, for I'm weary with hunting and fain would lie down. Oh, here we have a really strong continuation of our problem. Why would eels boiled in broth make Lord Randall need to lie down? Well, maybe they weren't eels. Maybe they were some kind of poisonous snakes. What became of your bloodhounds, Lord Randall, my son? What became of your bloodhounds, my handsome young man? Oh, they swelled and died, mother. Make my bed soon, for I'm weary with hunting and fain would lie down. We realize that the bloodhounds ate some of the eels boiled in broth, and they died more quickly than Lord Randall did. So our problem is increasing. Oh, I fear you are poisoned, Lord Randall, my son. I fear you are poisoned, my handsome young man. Oh, yes, I am poisoned, mother. Make my bed soon. Here's the betrayal by his true love. Not a true love after all. For I'm sick at the heart and fain would lie down. And we know when he lies down, he's never getting up again. Commedia dell'arte is improvised theater based on stock characters, tropes with characters, enacting a loose script, the bare bones of a story. The servants are the harlequin, the parrot, and columbine. A foolish old man, a pantaloon or doctor, attempts to come between two young lovers. A captain, like a squash-buckling scaramouche, interferes in the love affair. All the characters are caricatures, the bumbling scholar, the miserly pantaloon, the clever columbine, the wolf of Pirot. The stories are always simple, played for laughter, with standard events, tropes, the pantaloon trying to kiss columbine, the threat of an unwelcome marriage, a swashbuckling duel. The same story, over and over. We see that formula in certain books that we're reading to these days. People who publish books very quickly with no regard for developing a unique story. It's just the same story over and over again with new characters inserted. Instead of a librarian, this one's an elementary school teacher or a new nurse or something of that sort. The hero's also always an alpha male whether he's a motorcycle rider or a millionaire, billionaire, or something of that sort. These books are written by authors who have seized upon a jumble of tropes and are working them to death. These tropes-filled books, without any true plot, satisfy only for a short length of time. Then we become bored and we want something new, 
and we abandon the author who has been writing those books completely and never returned to them. Older Than Tropes is the pattern of the epic hero from mythology. First, we have a warrior of physical and intellectual prowess. That warrior is surrounded by other great warriors, but only he can achieve the great deed. Gods and goddesses interfere in the story. Third, Anukia, Greek for descent into the underworld, tests the hero's courage and endurance and cunning. He will encounter guardian monsters, lost loved ones, and the rulers of the underworld. Five, he will also enter a mystical place, a dark wood, and encounter an enchanting sorceress. Six, he is not only strong physically and mentally, he is honorable and ethical and upholding a code of honor, often at personal cost. Seven, the hero does not oppress the weak, he defeats those who do so. We can look at these tropes and construct our stories to include each one, but tropes will not create the plot, merely inform it. Tropes serve reader expectation, but we best serve a reader when we twist those tropes to make them individual to our story. Satirists love to work with tropes because they serve the need for turning reader expectation on its head, screwing with our expectations. Mark Twain played with the subgenre of the epic hero, the knights in shining armor on a noble quest, in his satire, Private History, of a campaign that failed, based on the start of the Civil War. Medieval knights have wondrous weapons. Twain's clueless young men have rusted muskets, which they don't know how to use, and for which they have no bullets, although they do have black powder. That knights on a noble quest trope has several required elements, each of which Twain skewers. First, the noble hero with his supportive comrade, which is also skewered by Cervantes in Don Quixote. There's always an aged king who needs support. The original wounded King Arthur are the failing businessman. Fair maidens who admire the heroic knights, a trope which George R. R. Martin turned on its nose by writing Brienne of Tarth. A trusted mentor, the Arthurian Merlin, is transformed as Gandalf in J.R.R. Tolkien. In a modern setting, this may be the IT guy who can hack into any system. The worthy cause requiring heroic deeds, such as my name is Inigo Montoya, who killed my father, prepare to die, said in The Princess Bride, which is by William Goldman. The fierce dragon, whether fire-breathing or watery kraken, our beloved's former fiancé, and the treasure that makes the riddling quest worthwhile, the Holy Grail, or the destruction of the ring, or the Death Star, or even the diamond ring on the third finger of the left hand. These tropes are highly effective because Twain satirizes with them. If you haven't seen the 1970s interpretation of a private history of a campaign that fails, you should watch it. It is hilarious. It's also sad. It has a lesson for us all, which satire should do. Any list of genre tropes does not depend upon sequence. An individual trope can be inserted into a scene without forming the whole scene, without regard to position on a list. Some tropes 
do fit best in the beginning or ending sections, but others can fit anywhere, and you can repeat them over and over again. Do play with tropes, transforming them as the noble knights are by twain. Transformation brings creativity to our stories. The greatest benefit of tropes, and the reason they are so seductive to writers, is the speed of story crafting. Pick a baker's dozen of the tropes, decide their order, and start writing. By the time you finish the scenes with the tropes, you can have the skeleton and muscles and major organs of a plot. Only the heart and the brain of your story are lacking, and that comes through character development where your main character faces a conflict which reveals the inner workings of your main character. All writers depend on the tropes, especially the writers of the Pulp Fiction era. Earl Stanley Gardner of the famous Perry Mason series reveals his genius as a writer by adding heart and brain to the tropes, lifting them outside of their stereotypes. Gardner used story wheels, cardboard spinners with tropes written in the spaces. He would spin his story roulette wheel to determine the situation. He used at least four wheels, the wheel of blind trials by which the hero is misled or confused, the wheel of hostile minor characters who function in making complications for the hero, the wheel of complicating circumstances, and the solution wheel the plot wheels were invented and patented by Edgar Wallace, another prolific crime novelist. Karen Woodward transcribes the four wheels in her 28 October 2013 blog, NaNoWriMo, Earl Stanley Gardner, Perry Mason, and Plot Wheels. This link of that is in the show notes. The University of Texas at Austin has the above four spinners in their archives. Gardner purportedly had nine total wheels. The solution will contain such options as villain betrays himself through greed and plants fakes evidence to confuse the villain and tricks the villain's accomplice into confessing and traps villain into betraying the hiding place. A second common method for structuring his stories was the use of triads. For his popular Perry Mason series, Earl Stanley Gardner had the triad of Perry Mason, Paul Drake, and Della Street as the central characters working to find the solution. Opposing them were District Attorney Hamilton Berger, Lieutenant Tragg, and Lieutenant Anderson. The murderer was a double triad of suspects, with the anticipated victim often in another triad. Two prongs of the anticipated victim triad become members of the suspects. Gardner published 119 Perry Mason novels along with other novels under his pen name A.A. Fair. In his lifetime, he sold over 700 stories of various length. The story spinners helped with plot construction as well as randomizing plot events preventing blocks and repetition from story to story. Gardner is not alone in his tremendous output. Lester Dent of Doc Savage fame Max Brand of Dr. Kildare, Margie Harris, Mickey Spillane of Mike Hammer, Louis L'Amour, Grace Livingston Hill, John D. McDonald of Travis McGee, Ed McBain or Evan Hunter, and more and more writers, each pouring out close to a million words or more each year. The pulp writers had to develop plots quickly 
and didn't dare repeat storylines. There's none of this one book a year for them. They needed to make money, and they did it with words. The idea of the story will can be adapted to any genre. The multitude of tropes and the characters and situation list can easily be converted for use on the story wheels. Story wheels help randomly select the main bones of the story, just as you can use tropes and randomly select certain tropes for the bare bones of the story. Mystery writers can create wheels for murder victim weapon. In the romance genre, create wheels for first clicks, location, family interference, declaration of love. Lester Dent's master plot formula, which looks like an abbreviated basic beat sheet, sets up the major events for the beginning, middle, and end, with each section based on word count. Dent himself says, No yarn of mine, written to the formula, has yet failed to sell. And the idea is to avoid monotony, which happens when you use the same tropes over and over again. Alternate the tropes. Put them into story wheels and spin the wheel to determine which one will be used this time and not used again. Don't repeat your tropes one after another. The point of tropes, story wheels, and plot formula is to bridge the transition from started story to finished manuscript. A central key is needed to tie all the scattered scenes together, and that central key will unlock the safe to reveal the heart and brain of story and keep it organically creative. We'll discuss the central key in the next section. What do writers want to know about plot? What do writers need to know about plot? The right focus is taking a comprehensive view of plot, the structure that develops characters, genre expectations, major story structures, pacing, tension, suspense. We cover it all in this series entitled Discovering Your Plot from M.A. Lee's Guidebook of the Same Name. Writers will discover unexpected insights and methods that deepen their understanding of this major craft in the storytelling world. Thanks for listening to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emma Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Renee Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at winkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.